0: Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Business editor and Columnist Greg Jefferson, investigative reporter Brian Chasnoff. And uh, as you all know, the legislative session ended uh, two weeks ago, um, special session to come, but it's been two weeks since the, the regular session ended. And um, I'm sure our guest today is uh needed some time to recuperate from that, so we really appreciate him uh, under, you know, during his decompression time uh, joining us today. Our, our guest is a six term member of the Texas House of Representatives. is uh, a former Bexar County commissioner, former San Antonio council member, MacArthur High School graduate, Texas Aggie, and also uh, someone who I think we can consistently rely on to, to call him as he sees him. And so we're really glad to be joined today by Lyle Larson. Uh, Representative Larson, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Gilbert, appreciate it. Well, uh, there's a lot to to cover with the legislative session, but I wanted to start by asking uh, about um, some news that happened last week. Uh, Governor Abbott was in Del Rio for a a border summit and uh, suggested that the state of Texas uh, might, build border wall he was basically saying the federal government isn't getting it done when it comes to the border and that the state would would do it um there in the four or so days since this happened there have been you know questions about legality of, of an idea like that certainly there are questions about uh, how this would be funded i wanted to get your take um on on what the, the governor said last week
1: yeah, there's a lot of people concerned on what's going on between uh, Laredo and Del Rio on the border. Uh, not not as much in the Rio Grande Valley, but there's a, a corridor that they're seeing a lot of uh, uh, immigrants come, illegal immigrants coming through that area, and, and uh, the Border Patrol has—they're uh, just—they've been overwhelmed. Uh, the the uh, the, the number of apprehensions, uh, the, the policy right now, we don't have enough facilities to detain them. They're, they're releasing a lot of folks. Uh, I, I know I talked to some landowners down in the down Del Rio area over the last couple of weeks, and they've been very frustrated. They've never seen this many folks walking across their property, and they've seen the waves. Uh, normally, they come during uh, a change of administration, and there's hope you know, in South America and Central America and in Mexico, that there might be an opportunity uh, to become a U.S. citizen. So th- these these ways come. But, you know, the reality is, uh, you know, there are people that we don't want in the country. And there are a lot of those folks that we could probably use uh, the labor component that, they're, that, that they could bring uh, with the skill sets uh, and construction and hospitality and, and the hospitality industry where we've got critical shortages in labor. And, uh, you know, the approach that uh, I believe we should take is uh, we should create more portals uh, on the Mexico side for uh, for work visas and and work with Mexico and in, in, in developing uh, some of these conduits uh, to bring these folks in uh, through a work visa program. Uh, there's been a lot of demonization that's taken place uh, for anybody that's come into the United States, and uh, the reality is people that are that are in the ag world or in the construction world and even the hospitality world, there are a lot of folks uh, that have questionable documentation status that are working now, uh, and we need more uh, so somehow we need to get over the, the political side of it right. and start dealing with reality and, and, and infuse these people into our economy and take them out of the shadows. And I'm not talking about amnesty. I'm not talking about citizenship. I'm just talking about, we need uh, the labor component and let's figure this out, both from a business standpoint and a political standpoint.
0: Well, obviously the, you know, the, the legislature hasn't appropriated you know, funding for something like this. I mean, wh- where, where would the funding come from?
1: you know i i have no idea where he's talking about uh the pulling money whether it be from the rainy day fund uh or de- develop a a particular uh a, a particular funding strategy that'd be connected to homeland security uh in, there might be federal grants uh there there might be uh, you know so, some funding uh that uh, he's willing to forego in his office for economic development they have not laid out a strategy talking about how they pay for it there's uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done we need Republicans and Democrats need to work towards a strategy work with the, the people that represent the border and try to figure out a a rational approach to, to dealing with uh, the issue the feds uh, they have uh, they they've abdicated their role. But they've done that for uh, for decades. Uh, this this is not a new problem. It is a new problem every election cycle, and people uh, heighten awareness. And because of the infusion that we're seeing, uh, because of the change of administration, uh, w- w- something needs to be done. I'm not certain what that is. And there's a lot of create creative ideas using technology. But most of all, we just we need to we need to look at it as not just uh, as an obstacle, but as an opportunity to uh, to bring labor uh, into a market that we've got critical shortages in.
0: I wanted to ask you about the um, the, the big drama that that happened at the end of the session, um, and we're gonna we're gonna see this this bill resurface in a special session, which was uh, surrounding SB seven, the election law, which was um, uh, members, you know, some of your fellow Republicans. Uh, had, had proposed a, a bill that would create some, uh, primarily a focus on, on mail voting, some tight, tighter restrictions on mail voting. There were two provisions that, that kind of uh, came out of the conference committee at, at late in the game, uh, which Democrats objected to. And you've now had a couple of uh, or some members uh, uh, of the conference committee on the Republican side saying that these were, uh, uh, mistakes, or these are these were uh, didn't come out the way they were meant to, to be. And one of them uh, limited uh, early voting on Sunday till one p.m. And the other, I think, lowered the bar for judges to throw out election results when there were allegations of fraud. I, I, I'm curious to get your take on on how this is played out because it, at wherever you know people stand on on this this. This bill, it's clear that there were some key provisions that were um, sort of thrown in there. Nobody seems to, to be clear on how they ended up in there, and there, there's there was a lot of messiness with this. I mean, what what do you make of it?
1: Well, uh, uh, being the only Republican that uh, voted against the bill, HB six and SB seven, there was uh, a couple of test votes uh, in in. Uh, the deliberation before uh, some of our colleagues uh, broke quorum. Uh, there were there were a number of provisions in there, that those two, and others that uh, that would restrict voting. And uh, the Republican Party, uh, we we need more people voting for us, not less. Uh, I've, I've always believed that uh, you can gain a lot more votes, for good ideas, versus suppressing a vote and uh, the idea of the, the, polls, the polls on Sunday, you know, people leaving church and going to the polls, that is a, a a cultural thing in a lot of communities across the state. And there was an attempt to restrict that. I think that was a flawed concept. It needs to be pulled out. Uh, and dealing with the overturning of the, uh, the election, uh, I think it didn't take too long to figure out how many district court judges there are that are Democrats versus Republicans, and they they realized that that was wrongheaded as well. The issue on the the whole early voting thing uh, is we need more people to vote, and more votes early uh, is better for the system. So in in lieu of restricting uh, the number of hours and the number of days of voting, I would like to see us open it up if we do two things. One of them is if you have more early voting sites, they're open longer. Uh, instead of two weeks, go to four weeks, if that's what we need to do. It worked really well in 2020. And uh, our Secretary uh, of State that conducts the election, uh, you know, kept saying, you know, we had a secure election, we had a safe election, uh, and it was uh, very smooth. Everything ran. Uh, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, Uh, someone gets beat running for office and alleges uh, that there was some wrongdoing. And then all of a sudden, this lady's not put back into office because she said the wrong thing. No, we had a great election. We saw some very creative ideas on getting uh, access uh, to to early voting by a number of jurisdictions across the state. I think we need to follow that model. 64% of the Republicans in the state voted early. And so it's not only going to hurt the the Democrat Party; it's going to hurt the Republican Party, but it hurts Texas in general. And we don't have uh, we have very few allegations. I I think there were some wrong address sixteen wrong addresses uh, over the last five years in a universe of seventeen million registered voters doesn't make a lot of sense uh, that we're going to start changing things uh, because of we're fearful. Uh, That these voting blocks are going to get out and vote against Republicans. I think uh, it defies what the democratic process is about. Uh, I think uh, in the long run, it's going to hurt Republicans. Uh, The largest voting block in the in the states and in the United States, uh, in in the state of Texas and the United States, is the independent voter. Independent voters aren't going to buy into this hogwash. And uh, for whatever reason. Uh, we're, so we're, we're taking hypotheticals of things that could happen and we're passing laws. Uh, that, that, that goes against everything, uh, the smaller government that Ronald Reagan advocated for. And I think we're, we're chasing, uh, uh, we're chasing our tails, uh, by, by doing, uh, something like this. So I, I don't think we have a problem. And, uh, we're now we're making an election issue and these allegations are unfounded. I wish we had sit down with Republicans and Democrats and sort of sort through this. Look at the allegations. Look at the evidence, and then make if any changes need to be made, let's do it collectively instead of one party uh, dominating the process.
2: Hey, Lyle. You know, I wanted to kind of change the the subject real quick to uh, development uh, in Texas and specifically in, in the hill country regions. Uh, you know, north of San Antonio. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's just booming in terms of population growth and subdivisions being built and, you know, rock crushing quarries coming up in order to provide the materials for new roads and and houses and et cetera. And, you know, there are some folks who are concerned there might be some environmental impacts, there might be some strain on natural resources such as water. And I I wanted to ask you, do, do you feel like the legislature is doing its job when it comes to balancing, uh, you know, this, this growth uh, with a respect for, uh, you know, uh, natural resources such as water and, and air and, and, and things like that.
1: It's a challenge, uh, you know, people applaud Texas for its fast growth trend right now, you know, 1,000, 1200 people a day, new people in Texas uh half those by birth, half of those of people migrating into the state. Uh we don't have the natural resources uh to sustain it uh at at this point. Uh if you look at the, the the Texas state water plan, uh we're substantially short over the next uh fifty years and I think that is gonna be enhanced by, you know, whenever the next drought occurs and uh, the population growth. So there's somewhere uh, we're going to have to sort of figure this out. The private property rights, Brian, are the biggest issue. Uh, people have the ability to do what they they can't they want on the land, and they uh, they have access to groundwater. That groundwater underneath them, uh, if they don't have a groundwater district, uh, they have unfettered access to that, and they can use it essentially without consequence, other than they dry their neighbors. Uh, springs up or dry their wells up and then they get into litigation. It's a uh, the the local government uh, have have done a pretty good job procuring uh, water for uh, the San Antonio area but in those areas uh, up in the hill country where we've got limited groundwater, we're seeing a lot of depletions. We're seeing uh, the spring flows uh, are stopping now Uh, if there's not any rain uh, to, to speak of, because of all the wells and the well spacing uh, hasn't really been contemplated, and uh, so you're drilling a well and you're drying up my springs, my neighbor's springs, and your springs, and there's really not a lot of regard. Your, the springs aren't flowing into the, the to the creeks or the San Sabra River or our number of rivers up in the hill country dry up uh, once the pumps go on, and uh, that was uh, a piece of legislation that. uh, that we had filed in my office was dealing with the ground and the surface water uh, interaction and a lot of that is directly related to the hill country uh, where we've got to get a handle on the science of figuring out uh, you know what the impacts are uh, long term we 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 recognize conjunctive; they call it conjunctive use uh, between ground and surface water uh, in a federal lawsuit against the state of new mexico but we don't recognize it uh w- within our own state. we don't have a laws uh to 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 dual regulate the ground and the surface waters so you know along uh your question about has the state done everything it can we've opened the the window for uh, the county commissioner's court and uh, some of the uh, some of the cities to do what they need to do uh, but we need to do a lot more.
2: And one one more question in this vein. Um, you know, there are some some of your Republican colleagues really tried this session, like Terry Wilson up in Marble Falls and Kyle Biederman down here. Uh they 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 tried to address the aggregate production operations. Yeah. Um, you know, these these quarries that come up. I think there's a there's a few big ones in your district actually. Um, you know, to try to get the TCEQ to pay more attention to how these these operations are regulated uh, and those bills didn't go anywhere um, in part because in large part because the industry is very powerful um, and I was wondering what you're just what your thoughts are on that issue in particular with the aggregate production operations if you're familiar with the
1: I am I'm obviously uh, at the city and the county level had the uh, you know, Martin Marietta and Alamo and a number of other uh, the Vulcan, uh, a lot of those folks were in the north side of Bear County. Uh, we, uh, our interface was uh, road traffic, uh, the blasting activities, uh, dealing with air quality issues, the TCQ did monitoring, all of those issues uh, that were impacting neighborhoods in the area. Most of those quarries were in operation before the neighborhoods were built. Uh, and so it's a little different than what you're describing. What's happened in the hill country? In the hill country, you've got uh, you, you've got some areas, especially in Comal County, uh, where you've got fast-growing areas. They need to have the materials uh, for uh, the roads and uh, for the uh, construction, uh, the building construction that's taking place. And uh, it, the, it, we really don't have a template as far as. How these things would be cited uh, what uh you know what the restrictions are at the local level uh I know that uh, there's a couple of them that are pretty controversial went in and bought large tracts of land uh there wasn't any disclosure on what was going to take place, some of them were in close proximity to the neighborhoods and uh somewhere we've got to we've got to figure it out both from an industry standpoint and from a community standpoint of of how we go about doing this. Right now it's just an up or down vote on TCQ for permits uh, that they're applying for and uh, if they meet all the rules uh, then they're getting their permits. But I understand what uh, Kyle and Terry were talking about. I've heard some of the discussions over the last couple of sessions uh, and I've talked to the the association, the general contractors uh, that uh, represent a lot of the quarries and and I've encouraged them that we need to sit down and and work towards resolution on this. We can't continue to fight it because uh, it's going to be an issue uh, with the infusion of all the people that we've got coming in the state. This is going to continue to be an issue. We don't want to not have quarry operations, but there's got to be a, a more practical approach on how we deal with it.
3: Yeah. Hey, Lyle. Um at the end of the uh, legislative session, I mean, we're now a uh, couple of weeks past. Do you feel like the uh, the state's power grid is in good shape? Do you feel like legislators did what they needed to do to ensure that we don't have another uh, phenomenal collapse like we had in, in February?
1: I don't see any new generation being built. I mean, that's uh, the bottom line is if we're going to sustain a a bad weather event, whether hot or cold, we're going to have to have uh, more uh, more power generation uh, uh, to bring to bear to the base load that's not uh, that's not interruptible. And uh, I think there were some things that were done uh, in, in as far as uh, from a regulatory standpoint of accountability, uh, but uh, as far as generating uh, generating new power uh i'm I'm not certain if we did anything to encourage that uh with the you know, some of the uh, uh uh some of the approaches of dealing with the winter storm retroactively uh securitization where uh there's gonna be a program where uh, the the co ops and uh, some of the both municipal utilities and the private utilities uh can get funding from the state borrowed money uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to to offset some of the losses that are experienced. But, you know, I, 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 as far as uh, this summer, if, if anything changed, uh, well, I think the only thing that's going to change is the accountability, because, I mean, I'll take full responsibility. I was in the legislature in 2011, I, I, uh, and we didn't do anything. I encouraged... Uh, Governor Perry uh, to look at uh, what the power generators were telling them. You know, reserve capacities, uh, capacity markets, uh, a, a lot of the things that, uh, that don't uh, work hand to hand with cheap power, which in cheap power is what has driven our economy. Uh, and that's what brought Toyota to San Antonio and it uh, along with other factors. But it's a big factor for a lot of the companies coming in. But but if we got cheap power and it's, it's not sustainable and it's interruptible, uh, then we're going to start losing a lot of businesses so i, I, I it, it was uh, i was I had uh, eight different bills that I filed in state affairs to deal with the issues. Some of them uh, were a little bit more aggressive than I think most people like, not one of those passed the state affairs committee.
3: How do you feel about the uh, weatherization requirements legislature passed? Is that going to be effective in, in safeguarding well, power plants if we have another uh, winter storm
1: i think it will i mean anything's better than what we had and before we had the honor system uh after 2011 we encouraged people to do it now uh, there's uh, uh there's some uh, pots of money for them to access and uh if they're paying for it they can get it built into their base rate when they go in front of the puc so it, it, it was a colossal failure, uh, and, and I think it was uh, unfortunate uh, the PEC never took any responsibility for it. The governor's office never took any responsibility for it. Uh, ERCOT was used as the scapegoat, and ERCOT was culpable in, in what transpired. But, uh, you know, I think from uh, from elected standpoint, uh, all of us uh, were... We're responsible for it and I hate to see uh, a lot of people pointing fingers and and making false allegations. Uh, The reality is the legislature set the market up. We're responsible for monitoring the market. Uh, The market, uh, uh, the the, the, uh, PUC allowed them uh, to grow the rates during a 48 power exponentially which cost uh, both the power uh, power generators and their customers a lot of money, you're damn right the state was in, uh, was responsible for it. And we haven't uh, taken full uh, responsibility for it. And I, I think uh, we we did a little bit, but there's a lot more that needs to be done for us uh, to, to deal with a winter storm like that or a, a long, a hot, uh, dry period that uh, could, Compromise our system as well. We just don't. We're we're right on the margin, and most of the power generators, they don't want. Uh, they're if they've got excess capacity, then they're paying for that excess capacity. They're trying to be efficient. Well, that's not how the market needs to generate. And we we had a, a reserve margin of fifteen point three percent, and in November we reduced that to seven. Uh, we we cut in half to seven point two percent. Of course, we were going to have a problem like this. If you don't uh, mandate that these reserve margins will be built in place, so uh, I, I'm not comfortable that we're going to sustain uh, ourselves through the the summer or next winter until I see a lot more power generation be put online. And I don't blame the renewables. The renewables are a a good supplement to a system, and it lowers the overall cost of generation. I don't I don't want to use those those folks as the fall guy. It's, it's uh, It's government. It's more our responsibility than anybody's.
3: Yeah. Hey, I I just want to go back to SB7 for a moment. I mean, it it seems like a a big motivating factor for this bill was the idea that Donald Trump was cheated out of re-election last year. Uh, And you've been pretty outspoken in your criticism of the bill, have you taken any heat in your own district from uh, Trump supporters?
1: I have. Uh, they've 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 reached out to me and they've written letters and I've had some uh, say nasty things, uh, you know, on on social media. And my issue is, a uh, is suppression of vote is is bad for democracy. And uh, whether whether you know our guy wins or their guy or or, or lady wins. It doesn't matter. Uh, the ultimate, if, if, if we, uh, suppress the vote, uh, to try to appease somebody to feel like they lost the vote, we are eroding democracy. I, uh, that's, I don't equivocate on anything that I believe, uh, is a long-term, uh, a detriment to, to our democracy. And I think when we start uh, crossing this path, and we start making uh, false allegations with no evidence and we start changing laws to restrict voting, uh, we're heading towards an autocracy, and I, I, do, I just don't think that that's uh, in our best interest.
3: Are you expecting uh, a challenge in the Republican primary
1: next year? Uh, if could be. I mean, the job pays six hundred dollars a month. Yeah. I need to have twenty of them running again.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Still, I'm guessing maybe there's there might be a Trump supporter out there willing to uh, willing willing to take on the burden yeah. of office. Maybe.
1: I've never I've, i I've never uh, <laughs> voted for something because I was fearful I wasn't going to be reelected. I would never uh, compromise what I believe in because of the fear of not getting, uh, reelected. That's one of the biggest problems we have in government right now. People are so concerned about their own political well-being that they're not making the right decisions. Mm
3: -hmm. By the way, just one, one other question, uh, and this is going back to, uh, Governor Abbott's, uh, plan for a border wall. Do you see that as related at all to uh, Donald Trump's endorsement of Abbott in the next governor's race?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, we're we're conflating, uh, you know, federal responsibilities with state responsibilities. Uh, the border issue right now is polling the highest. And so mm-hmm. I would assume that people that are running for ag commissioner, land commissioner, uh railroad commissioner and every other uh, statewide office will be talking about the border in lieu of what they're responsible for and so yeah it's a it, it is a politically charged issue and uh you know obviously donald trump uh that was one of his uh, tenets in his campaign he was going to secure the border uh biden uh they've taken a less aggressive role and so there's a vacuum there to fill, and uh, need, something needs to be done. And I think that uh, the the issue that uh, the, the governor Abbott brought up uh, it resonates with a lot of voters Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Trump, and non-Trump voters.
0: On, on the issue of, of, of being willing to uh, kind of uh, you know defy uh, your party and 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 uh, not. Worry about the the, the 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 sort of partisan politics involved. You came out early during this session uh, in favor of Medicaid expansion, and this state is uh, has a major problem with with uh, high level of uninsured people. Um, the estimates have been that more than you know a million people could be insured on this, and this would be kind of a 90 ninety ten deal with most of the money coming from the federal government. Uh, I think a lot of people have looked at this and thought that it made a lot of sense, but as you, as, as you know, for partisan political reasons, this is not, you know, it hasn't happened in Texas. Um, when you talk to people in, in your party, uh, what, what, what are the, some of the, the private justifications that, that people give for opposing something that uh, seems to be a good deal for the state? Uh,
1: the boogeyman. <laughs> they're concerned about the boogeyman. Uh, that uh, that the government is going to change or equivocate from uh, the deal that they cut with the state and the state's going to hemorrhage out uh, fiscally. Uh, there is no legitimate reason. Uh, Rick Perry said in 2013, uh, he was running for president, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, and it was uh, an Obama administration health care bill that was going through the process and or, or went through the process and he was... And uh, he indicated that uh, we should not take the money. Uh, a, a a solid C student in animal uh, reproduction from Texas A&M shouldn't be telling us what we can and can't do fiscally with health care dollars. And we're stuck on that same narrative that Perry started uh, in 2013. We passed up $40 billion of health care funding. And the taxpayers are paying for it. They're paying uh, for it through uh, their hospital district tax at the local level uh, and uh, a number of other funding mechanisms to offset us not taking uh, the, the healthcare dollars that are being offered by the federal government. Texas Medical Association, Texas Hospital Association, 32 other healthcare organizations are begging the state uh, to take the funding. We've closed 20 rural hospitals over the last and take the funding and they, there's no legitimate reason. We, we pay in $24 billion to pull $41 billion down, a, a 60 62-38 a 60 match. Now they're offering $5 billion at a 90-10 match. 5 billion to throw on top of the 41 uh, to bring down. It is pretty simple math that we need to take that money. You, you take that money and you blend it with the other, and you put 1.3 uh, million people on the rolls, uh, and it keeps the, the local hospitals from having to pay for it, both local and private, it makes absolutely zero sense that we don't take that money. Fiscally conservative government would take that money. We take every penny we can get for highways, for education, for public safety, and other, every other element of half of the $248 billion budget that we passed comes from the federal government. But we won't take $5 billion because of a gentleman that served five years ago uh, in the White House, and we're still preoccupied with that. It makes no sense. Uh, it, it's very frustrating. So, yeah, I, I mean, and and a bunch of Republicans have walked up to me, yeah, w- w- we need to vote for that. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, that's the right thing to do. And then it comes down to They get a few emails. They're going, that's Obamacare. You can't take <laughs> Obamacare. And so all of a sudden they go, well, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, and then they run. And wow. but there was nine Republicans that signed on to a Medicaid expansion bill, uh, the waiver. Uh, and we couldn't get that bill to the House floor. It would have passed. That would have been the first time, uh, that a bill would have been passed by the legislature to give us, uh, the expansion that we needed. And, uh, I was proud. There was, uh, my Republican colleague in Bexar County, Steve Allison signed onto the letter and yeah. some uh, other Republicans did as well. I, I think we'd probably end up with 20 or 30 votes to get, get to the floor. Uh, the, the discussion, uh, it, there's, there's no legitimate opposition to it. It's just yeah. absolute bovine exc- excrement is what it is. It's just <laughs> a it's really, really a bad argument, yeah. and uh, I think that's why people are screaming for an independent party right now. The Republicans and Democrats, all they want to do is fight with each other. Let's just govern. Let's forget about who gets credit. Let's forget about you know the partisan labels, and let's just govern. And things are going to go a lot smoother. We'd take the Medicaid, uh, uh, the, the, the Medicaid expansion in a heartbeat, like we do with all the other federal money they're offered. We, we we've taken. You know, excess of 30, uh, $35 billion from federal government uh, of, through COVID and uh, the different stimulus packages that have come. But we won't take the 5000000000 billion. I'm not certain. I think the same uncles are giving us the money. <laughs>
0: um, before we wrap things up, I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about uh, the, the speaker of the House. This uh, You had a new speaker this during the session, Dave Phelan, um, who was... Uh, faced a lot of criticism from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, uh, just as uh, an earlier speaker, your friend Joe Strauss from San Antonio uh, did. And uh, in your time in the legislature now, you've had three speakers, uh, Joe Strauss, Dennis Bonn, and, and, and Dave Phelan. I, w- I was curious to get your your take on, um, you know, how the similarities and differences you see between the, the, the three of them and whether you, you think that um, the Lieutenant Governor's criticism of, of the speaker um, whether those criticisms were justified at
1: all. Yeah, obviously Joe Strauss a personal friend. I've, I've known his family, uh, for four decades. My dad and his father went to A&M together. And so I, I've got a, a, a personal friendship with him and a lot of admiration for what he did. Uh, he was able to, uh, to knock the crazy off the train, uh, when it was rolling, uh, heavily you know while he was in office uh i think ness Bonin uh did a, a respectable job as well in trying to uh to moderate uh, some of the extreme elements this session you know uh, Dade date uh, i consider him a, a personal friend i think in speaker politics sometimes uh uh you you sort of lose uh, the friendship when things uh, don't go your way, both on my side and his side. I was involved in uh, the the uh, getting Dennis Bonnen uh, to not run again uh, because of uh, some impropriety and and, and uh, some of the, the issues that happened. But but Dade, I, I think he left a lot of good people uh, out of leadership. I mean, for Price, uh, probably the smartest guy you know, on the House floor was uh, the the uh, calendar's chair. And Dan Huberty, uh, his, he was public education, uh, chairman that uh, passed HB3 in the pr- uh, previous session, left off the leadership because they were involved in the bond and fiasco. Right. And there were some other senior members. So we didn't put our, our best team on the floor, uh, as far as uh, having the experience and how to deal with the Senate and, uh, and just how to navigate through the process. Uh, but, uh, you know, Dade, uh, uh, he's been around, uh, Uh, I like him personally. I think uh, he'll learn from, you know, some of uh, the mistakes that were made and, uh, you know, the issue with Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant Governor is just a jerk. I mean, he's just not a good, he's not a good man. I mean, I've, I've had meetings uh, face to face. He's soulless. You look into his eyes and there's there's nothing there he's got a lot of hostility he's a control freak he's got uh, a lot of uh, a lot of things you don't want in leadership and uh, i was uh, i was dismayed that he's decided to run again and i hope we have a strong uh, republican to run against him uh, so we can uh, get away from a lot of the nonsense uh, since he's taken over as lieutenant governor he's just he, he, uh, I'm, I'm not certain what, 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 what drives him. I think he's got some psychological issues. He's got, uh, uh, he's got a, 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 just an insatiable desire for, for power. And, uh, I, I think it's, it's time for him, uh, to, to see the gate and get out the gate. Uh, we don't need, uh, Dan Patrick to be our lieutenant governor next time. I hope we find a, a good, strong, Republican candidate that can run and and run uh, the state the way most people Republicans Democrats and Independents want the state to run.
0: Well, as always, we appreciate uh, your willingness to speak your mind. There are not not uh, enough people in politics who kind of uh, who who say what they really think, and uh, we really appreciate you uh joining the podcast larson uh, hope you have a good break before the special session comes up whenever that does happen and thank you so much for
1: joining the podcast i appreciate it gilbert thank you